Have you ever wondered why God set the world up like he did? Last week after worship, I had a conversation with a friend about the message that I shared. I'm right there with you in the ethics, he said, but I can't follow you in the faith part. I asked him why. The misery of the world makes it too hard to believe that God is good, he said. Either he doesn't exist, or if he does, it seems to me he must be evil. Do some of you have friends who share that viewpoint? I thought about what he said an awful lot. If God were like a mechanical engineer and this world were his machine, then I think I might also share his viewpoint. But that's not the picture that we get of what God is like if we go to the Bible. In Scripture, God looks more like a gardener at work in the soil, cultivating living things with the genuine capacity for healthy growth, which means the capacity for unhealthy growth as well. Anyone who grows a garden knows that the gardener takes a risk. He can do everything right all season long, but then before the harvest, everything can go wrong. Does someone know what I mean from experience? Because there are certain things in the garden that the gardener does not choose to control. This morning, we're going to learn from the prophet Isaiah to think along these lines so that when we look at the world as it is and wonder why God set things up like he did, we don't choose disbelief. Uh, When Isaiah wrote to the people of God, the world did not look like it was supposed to because God's people were not growing as he intended. Take that to heart for a moment. When we choose not to grow as we ought to, things go wrong in the world. Can you acknowledge that? Not from other people out there. It's easy to see other people doing the wrong things. But in your own garden, do you see it? In the fifth chapter of Isaiah, and if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, this would be good to find your way to chapter five and put a star there because the text that we're gonna consider is incredibly uh, helpful in thinking about how this world is set up. And listen now, if we'll follow the implications of Isaiah's text, then rather than being pushed away from faith, we will actually find ourselves pushed to get to work to change things in the world as God intends. And that would be better, don't you think? Let's look together at Isaiah 5, the song of the vineyard. This is verse 1 in chapter 5. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. Here we're going to be reading the lyrics of a song, not a scholar's essay or a journalist's report, but a love song, which means there's going to be metaphor and simile composed to shed light on that big question, why is the world wrong like it is, and what's God's part in it all? My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. Use your imagination. This is a gardening project. 
undertaken with a very good goal in mind. A vineyard is prepared and planted. The plot of land is selected with the right kind of soil, a hill inclined toward the sun at the right grade for drainage, not too much water, not too little. The gardener digs furrows for the vines. Every time his spade hits a stone, he takes it out and he sets it aside. This will be the wall to protect what he plants. And then he hews out a vat for the wine that he'll produce when the growing season ends so that he'll have enough to share with the surrounding villages. Do you see the goal? The goal is to gladden hearts, to bring people together for celebration. Does the world have enough of that? It's a worthy goal and it's a massive commitment. But look at what happens. This is verse two. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Things did not turn out as the gardener intended. All season he worked hard. But at harvest time, things went wrong. Instead of sweet grapes, the kind that make good wine, it was bitter wild grapes, sour, sharp, and useless. Now this song is about the people of Israel the people that God chose, selected, and then prepared a place for so that they would grow. God had in mind one goal, but it went differently than God had hoped. All of this work that God did for them was so that he could bless the world through the fruit that they bore, but things did not go as he had hoped, and so the song stops, and then there's an explanation that begins in verse 3. Look at it with me. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? God asks the readers to think for a moment and to answer the question that he asks. Their question may be, as many of us would ask, why is the world like it is? And God's question to them is, listen carefully now, look at the world that you live in right now and reflect on how you personally are choosing to live. Would you do that for a moment and be honest? In light of all that I've done for you, God says, consider the fruit which you are bearing in the world. And this is meant to be a challenge, by the way, to them and also to us. What more is there, God says to them, that I could have done? And the answer is nothing more. Think about Israel with me, and if you know their story, consider this. And if you don't know the story of God's people in Israel, listen carefully. God had done everything that he could for these people, not just for them, but so that through them, the world would become the kind of world that God wants it to be. Do you see that? He singled out Abraham, and then he protected Abraham, he gave Abraham a son and many descendants so that the entire world would be blessed through the descendants of Abraham. He gave them freedom when they were enslaved in Egypt. He overcame their foes who, who were way too strong for them. He gave them his law, which was the way to true life if only they chose to follow it. He provided for them in the desert. He empowered them to overcome their adversaries. He cleared the land of promise for them and then he prepared for them a place where they could thrive like the gardener prepared the vineyard in this 
song. He did it all so that they would bear good fruit, but it did not go to plan. Look at what he asks in the second half of verse 4. When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Now I'm asking you to apply your own minds to this in relationship to the very fair question that anyone who looks at the world as it is would ask, if God's good, why is it like this? This question is meant to turn that question of why the world is like it is into a question that makes me look at myself and say, why am I bearing the kind of fruit that I'm bearing? Everyone who's concerned about the world being wrong should look at themselves and say, where have I gone? You see, in that question, there's the beginning of an answer to our inquiry about why the world is like it is. And the answer is in the picture of the garden. The vineyard, here's the, here's the answer. The vineyard yielded wild grapes because something was wrong within the vines. That's why. That's why the fruit was off. The variable in this world that God made is the people who have the capacity for self-determination. They have agency. We have agency. And that is the will to go in the right direction, which also includes the will to go in the wrong direction. And the quality of the fruit that we grow is going to be determined by the exercise of our will. Can you see it in your own life? Would you admit that in your own life? And and here's the, the step. Imagine the whole world of people with their wills added up together when they go wrong rather than right. It's this fact built into God's decision not to determine or force the choices of the people that he's made. And so the outcome at the end of the season depends on what happens inside of the vines themselves. How many of you have gardened? Would you show me your hands? The first gardening experience I had was in 1997. I was a student at Princeton Theological Seminary and they started a brand new program where they let the students have garden plots because we didn't have enough to do with our studies. (laughs) And I signed up immediately. The, The plots were right along the border of the woods that went to the canal and then the the seminary owned a big field across the street from the apartment complex where a lot of us lived. It's In retrospect, it's not the best place for a garden plot right next to the woods. But I signed up and I went and I cleared the land. I got the bushes and the shrubs out of there. I dug up the soil and took away the stones. When I finished that first afternoon, I noticed some shade that I didn't want. And so I went back to my apartment and I found a hatchet and I literally cut down three trees with a hatchet. There was sweat and there was blood. And the tears would come later. The hardest part of this experience for me was the fact that there was no hose. And so every morning, I had to fill buckets back at my apartment, walk through the courtyard, pass all of my neighbors across the street into the field to water the ground in the, in the morning and in the afternoon. There was a little boy who, who lived in one of the apartments that faced the field who was watching me. Have you ever had someone watching you when you're trying to do something really... I wanted to impress him. Uh, it turns out his father was my Hebrew instructor. And every morning and every afternoon, I'd see this little boy peering over the, the rail to see my progress. And I wanted to grow the ingredients for fresh salsa. Mm. I had a tomatillo plant that was magnificent. And vines with beefsteak tomatoes that were just about getting ripe. There were some cilantro and peppers. And then... 
And then toward the end of the season, there was one morning where I walked out with my buckets in hand, and as I neared, I stopped because I could not believe what my eyes were seeing. I dropped the buckets. There were deer that had come and eat every single plant all the way right to the ground. I should have known it was coming. I turned around, and I walked back toward the road, and then I sat down on the curb. I wondered if that little boy was watching me. I looked up, and he was not there, and I put my hands on my face, and I just started to cry. And I decided right there and then I would never garden again. I did not go back to that plot of land at all, ever again. And it took me 23 years to try again. Like I have this season, but that feeling of disappointment, that things didn't go as I had planned. Can you you imagine it? Have you ever had an experience like that in your own life? You know God has had that experience. In the song here that Isaiah tells, where it's wild grapes instead of the kind of fruit that he intended. God's response is actually described. This is verse five. This is what God says. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured, God says. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. The gardener decides to give up on the garden because the work turned out to be fruitless. He breaks down the wall, he removes the protection, and he lets it be overrun. No more pruning, no more working the soil, no more rain. Instead, the land will lay fallow. The hedge is removed, the predators and pests are free to come and destroy everything. It's only weeds and briars and thorns from now on. This picture right here is a picture of the exile. This is a component in the story of God's people that some of you will know about, others may not. After the people of God showed themselves to be faithless there in that promised land, God decided for a time to give up and to let the neighboring uh, kingdoms take over because if they weren't going to grow anything at all, it, it had to be a new way. And God decided a new way. And in they came and they took everything. And it was not forever. The story of the Bible does not end here, thank goodness. But it's important for us to understand that because things didn't go as God intended, There was a change. And in verse 7, the passage here ends with an explanation from Isaiah so that none of us miss directly what he means to say. Look at verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. In case we missed it, this vineyard is the people, he tells us. And then look at this. He expected justice, but he saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but he heard a cry. Here we get an explicit statement of God's goal, exactly what God intended for the world that he loves. Here it is. It's in these two words. God's goal was to grow justice and righteousness. That's the grapes that he'd hoped for. And and if you continue in in chapter 5 in Isaiah, you'll hear the very specific outlines of what that looks like in his day. God wanted a world where those with power use their strength to help the weak. That's what he wanted then. It's exactly what God wants now. Do you think in our world there are weak 
people who need the help of the strong, and yet there are strong who do not use their strengths to help. Do you think that's true still? Yes or no? God wanted a world where businessmen acted with integrity. No deception, nothing false. How are we doing? Every person, this is what God wanted, should treat his body, her body, with dignity, pursuing healthy living for the sake of being an active agent of God's good in the world. How about that one? God wanted a system of government that helped all people, not some people. It's right here. God wanted relationships that are motivated by mutual benefit and therefore characterized by honesty, where relationships built everybody up, not just some at the expense of others. All of this is what God hoped for, and this is why God gave everything to his people so that this is what would be growing, righteousness and justice. But instead of getting that, what he intended, what he got was, look again, bloodshed and a cry. Uh, If we were reading this in Hebrew, we would see that there is actually a wordplay between justice and righteousness, bloodshed and cry. They, They rhyme. In Hebrew, they rhyme. But here, the point is that God got the opposite. Even though uh, the people who were committing all of these uh, wrong steps might say, well, it's similar, it was completely different. The rich in this day oppressed the poor whose cries always reached God's ears. The merchants cheated their customers with false weights and balances so that they sold less than they were paid for. And then they drank excessively, abusing their bodies to silence their guilty consciences. Their judges took bribes, Justice was for sale, available to those who could pay enough. Bloodshed and violence were the tools used by the powerful to remain powerful. It was every man for himself, so hypocrisy and dishonesty were the norm. That's how it was. Even though God meant to grow one thing, what grew instead was the opposite of his goal as a gardener. You see it again in our world, don't you? Here, listen. Do you see the risk that God takes by setting the world up as he did. Yes or no? Whether the world turns out as he intends comes down to the decisions that his people make day in and day out. Here is where you, every one of you, should let this, the implications of this story, motivate you. Not discourage you, but motivate you. So that every time you see things that aren't right, you say, how might I grow differently? And this is the question we should ask because of the way that God decided to set the world up. Does it still make you wonder sometimes why he set the world up in this way? Maybe asking, why didn't he just make the fruit that he wanted with his own power instead of risk growing it on vines which are so fickle? Has anyone else ever wondered that? I was sitting on that curb with my head in my hands when I had the uncanny feeling that someone was staring at me. Have you ever had that experience? I opened my eyes and I looked and that little boy was sitting right next to me. When I came and saw the garden and dropped my buckets, he was, he was on the balcony looking at me and when I turned around, he was coming down the stairs to get a look for himself at what had happened and I didn't see him. And after he saw what was there, he walked back and sat down beside me. And I looked at him for a moment. We'd never spoken at this point. And I said to him, the deer ate 
all my vegetables. And he just looked at me. And he thought for a moment, then he asked me a question. Why didn't you just go to the supermarket and buy vegetables? <laughs> I, I did not have your reaction. I was, not, I was not laughing in that moment. Have you ever had a bite of pasta covered with tomato sauce that came from the Roma tomatoes that were alive just a few hours ago growing in the land that your own house is built on? Have you? It's nothing like what you can buy in the supermarket. It's hard to explain. But the vegetables which grow because of the work that you put into it, which are watered and nurtured day after day, they are completely different than the vegetables that you can buy in the supermarket. They're not even the same thing. We might wonder, why didn't God just make things right? And it's a good question. And we have answers for that. I I could argue, and I thought about it with that friend. I could say, well, there's this argument and that argument, but do you know that for every argument you give, the skeptic will always have a response that will keep them in the place of not being sure? That's how it works. But that's because trying to explain God is like a lump of clay trying to explain the potter in whose hands that clay is being molded with or without its will. And you and I are clay and God has us in his hands right now. And and here's the thing for you and for me and for every one of us. It's this, it's very simple. Will we accept that this is how God has decided to make the world? And then follow the implications, if that's true, if God made that decision, will we follow the implications one slow and steady day at a time? Will we or not? And I hope, and this is my hope, that we will, that you will, that you'll say, okay, this is how God has decided to do it. And then, then you'll say, how then shall I grow in this world? And I have three implications. I'm going to set them before you one at a time. And I hope that you'll take them to heart. I I do. I hope that every one of you will take these to heart and let them have their implications or their way on you. The first that seems to me very plain if this song presents reliable information about God is that God is in the details. If this is how God works like a gardener, then it means that God is engaged and active in the world that I live in every day. Listen carefully. That's not to say that God makes every little thing which happens, happen. The vine still has a measure of self-determination and so do the vines all around us. Yeah? But listen, God still, if this is true, is involved in the events of your life in the same way that the gardener is active in this vineyard. His hands, right now, God's hands are clearing things away in your life that would make growth impossible for you. Does anybody here know that? Can you think about some of the things that are being torn away right now in a new light if this is true? Would you try that? He is building walls and hedges that are protecting you. You may not see this, but it is true. Has anyone ever ever had one of those moments where God's protection suddenly becomes clear and you're stunned? Yes or no? He's doing that for all of us. He is looking out for you. 
God is right now, like, like he's in that watchtower which was built in the garden. He's providing you everything you need to flourish. He's breaking things down. He's planting new seeds. He's pruning away unhealthy growth. Trust that God is in the details. Keep your eyes open and you will begin to see the way he's at work right now. That's the first implication of this song. Here's a second one. From this picture of God's way, we also learn that our actions matter. This one also we should take to heart. I mean, just think about how it is that God brings about his will in this story and it will teach you that God has decided to bring his intentions for this world. He's decided to bring those about through the decisions that you personally make. Do you see how much your actions matter if this is how it works? I have a part to play in the realization of God's will in the world that I live in so that I exercise my will in a way that is relevant to God's own plan for creation. Think about that for a moment in relationship to the people that you know in your life. God's will for them may come about through the decisions that you choose to make. If it's true, then it's time for me to get to work in things that matter to God. And you know, if you've been here even a little bit, you know enough about what matters to God. And that means it's time for you to say, my actions matter. It's, it's no more laziness, no more passivity from me. Let me prune away all the things that keep me idle and wasting time, the time that God has given me, and get busy in the fields like the farmer who puts in the hours early in the spring to see a good outcome in the fall. And then it's time to go to work. Can you see that? That's the second implication. Uh, to what end should I work? Here's the third. And we learn this very directly from the song. All of us should cultivate justice and righteousness. I I'll tell you, those words have been sort of grabbed a hold of and now they're used to divide people in the political discourse that we live in. Don't you think? Yeah, so let's forget that and leave it aside and come back to the roots of what justice and righteousness mean according to the scriptures. Forget all that other nonsense and say, okay, if I'm going to cultivate justice and righteousness, then what is God inviting me to? And let me start by saying this. He's inviting you to deeds that will not make the news. They're not going to be spectacular enough. They're not. And you don't need to post about them because nobody cares Justice and righteousness is that good deed that is sweet and encouraging to your daughter. Or that kind step that you take in relationship to your son. Or the way that you choose to bless mom or dad by doing something that you know will encourage them. And that is magnificent. That is God's will. It is you going out of your way for your neighbor. No, there's not going to be anyone writing a, a report about it at all. And that's okay. It's, it's sitting beside someone who's broken and deciding, I'm not going to try to fix them. I'm just going to be with them in the way that I can. This is God's will for the world that we live in and cultivating. It takes a long time. Nothing that is planted in the ground grows immediately. And do you know what grows quickest? Weeds. Exactly. And that, we're going to come back to this in the weeks ahead of us because we want to learn how to grow in the way that God intends us to. But listen, in Isaiah's day, justice and righteousness were concrete, specific acts. Listen, it was helping the widow 
and the orphan in their distress. Because even though everyone in society couldn't care less about those two, God's people had to care about them because God did. It was keeping an eye out for the refugee and then sharing your table and your home if they needed it. And that's directly in Isaiah's text. It was defending the oppressed and the powerless with whatever influence you have, with whatever reasons they were being oppressed and why ever they were powerless. There was no, well, let's make sure they're believing the right things before we help them or they have the right lifestyle. None of that. No, if you lack power, then, then God's righteousness and justice is to help. It was sharing wealth with those in need rather than hoarding your excess for yourself. It was practicing business and commerce with integrity and without deception. It was being sincere and steadfastly rooting out hypocrisy and dishonesty. And it was being holy in the way you treated your own body. Not guided by your passions, but by God's will. This is what we should aim at as individuals and as a church altogether, the cultivation of righteousness and justice if this is how God has set up the world. I never said anything to that little boy about his question, about why I didn't go to the supermarket. I wanted to smash him. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> but as I get older, listen, tell me that this is true for you. I see that over and over again, when I strike out on my own to do right, sometimes I get it, but a lot of times I don't. Does that happen for others as well? Okay, so I said that this is not where the story ends in Isaiah. It's not. If you keep going, what you'll see is that even as God's people try over and over again to grow the things that they're meant to, they keep on failing over and over again. But then there is one who arrives in the right time. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? That's why you said amen. And do you know what Jesus said about who he was? I am the vine, he said. You are the branches. Not you are the vines, but I am the vine, Jesus said. And I will be planted in this world and I will grow. And he went on to say, if you attach yourself to me, if you abide in me, then you will bear good fruit in the world. And apart from me, you can do nothing, he said, but, but attach to me, then you will grow. And, and listen now, we're going to get into this later on. In a few weeks, we're going to dwell on what the implications of that promise from Jesus are. But for this morning, for this morning, it is time for all of us to accept that God made the world as he did and then to realize that it means he is involved in the details and to accept that and then to do the very best that we can exactly where we have been planted to keep our eyes open for the things he means to grow in us and then every step we have the chance to do it, to cultivate righteousness and justice and to keep our eyes and our hearts and our roots open to Jesus. Would you do that? Jesus is waiting for you to be connected to him so that you grow what he means you to be growing in the world so that the world begins to become the different kind of place than it is. Let's pray that God will in invite and receive us as we intend to grow. God, we love you so much and we thank you for this passage from Isaiah and for the way that it teaches us to think about the world which you made. We thank you that you are a God who can receive our questions, our doubt, that you bear with us even as we've decided to be done with you. And we thank you that you are never done with the garden that you are growing. If even for a time it seems that you've departed, I thank you that you never will, that instead in Christ you've come to grow with us so that we can grow. God, in every way that we need to receive your work as the gardener, open our hearts and make us soft. 
And then we pray that you'd plant the seeds in us and be at work in us in a way that helps us bear the fruit that you want us to bear. I thank you for your love and your patience and your mercy and your grace. Inspire us in the rest of this day and the week ahead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.